to get a hold of than the vision for our own life. There's something even bigger. And I believe that when we get a hold of that, that bigger thing, that we can, in that we'll find the vision for our own life. Okay, now close your eyes again. About four years ago, where I'm standing right now, you could come in and shop, and I think this was the Isle of Medicine, I'm guessing. And over there by the screen, I think you could go pick up a tomato, an onion, was the produce section, and over here by this screen was the pharmacy. That was four years ago. Now open your eyes. Four or five years ago, I don't know, whenever they were still here. Now look around at this place. Look at the, the chairs. Look at the people that are here. What, why are all these things here? How much has cha- Why has all this changed? Because of vision. That's exactly right. This, this church, this ministry, are products of vision. You know, vision is the art of seeing the invisible. You know, to God, to God be all the glory. Amen? That this, this building is here, that this church is here. But it wouldn't have happened without someone's vision. Last week was a very hard week for, for me and for a lot of people at this church. I'm going to try not to cry. But um, some of you n- never knew Tony Weston. But even before um, I got the news about him passing away, God had started dealing with me about, about vision. And I was like, okay, God, you know, what are you trying to tell me? And he, he just kept saying, vision, vision. My people do not have vision. You know, the word says in Proverbs that where there is no vision, my people perish. I'm getting ahead of myself, I have to say. You know, and when, when I got the news about Pastor Tony, I was... I was sad. I was so, so sad. I was devastated. And I was like, God, why? Why? You know, this is too early. It's not right. And, and he just kept saying, vision, vision, vision. And then we were in a leadership meeting the day after that he died. And we were praying. Pastor Eric was praying. And he, he said something that just shook me to the core, which wasn't probably profound to a lot of you. But to me, it just, it just stopped me right there. And he, Pastor Eric said, you can take away the man, the man, but the vision remains. You know, and I am so thankful for the vision that Pastor Tony had. I am thankful that, you know, I wasn't here when he, when he first founded the Living Word Fellowship. But I came when I was in high school. And, and he married Bryce and I. And he spoke over our lives. And he stirred up in me a passion for souls. And I'm so thankful for the vision that he had for this church. I am so thankful. But you know what I'm really thankful for? As I'm thankful that his vision was big enough, was bigger than Woodward, and that he was able to leave Woodward, and that he had a vision big enough to pass the mantle on to someone who had even greater vision than he did. And I am thankful for that. You know, there were many reasons why Pastor Tony shouldn't have handed the mantle to Pastor Eric. I mean, there were many reasons why. If you look at it in the natural, Pastor Eric hadn't lived in Oklahoma, but Less than a year. Pastor Eric never been to, been to Bible school. He never pastored a church before. He had no experience. I mean, there were many reasons why in the natural that that shouldn't have happened. But, you know, Pastor Tony saw 
all beyond all of that and he saw the vision inside of inside of the inside of the man and he heard god say he's the man and you know when when pastor tony handed the mantle over to pastor eric the vision grew i mean pastor tony had a big vision for for this ministry but as soon as the mantle was passed the vision grew inside of pastor eric you know that's biblical because you know, I was thinking, you know, Moses, he was the leader of the Israelites, and he had the vision to get him out of slavery, to bring him out of Egypt. But it wasn't until Joshua took over, and Joshua had the vision to lead him into the prom- promised land. You know, Joshua's vision grew. As soon as, as Moses handed the mantle to Joshua, he told Joshua, you will be the one to lead God's people into their inheritance. And when Pastor Tony left, I remember him speaking the same thing over Pastor Eric. He said, you will be the one to see the growth from all of our years of sowing seed. He told Pastor Eric, you will be the one to see the growth. And we are in this building today because of Pastor Eric's vision. And Susan Davis said something last Wednesday night that she had no idea that this is what I was going to preach on. But she said, it was the day after the funeral, and she said, I'm so proud of our church. She said, I'm so proud of the vision that Pastor Eric had and that we ran with that vision because if it weren't for that vision, we wouldn't have been able to hold that funeral here last week. Think about if we were still in the old building. There's no way we could have brought in over almost 600 people and fed almost 200 people and did everything we did for that family if we were still back there in our old building. And there's nothing wrong with our old building. God moved there. But he progressed us. And because we were... We were willing to grab a hold of that vision. Look what God did. We were able to honor the man who, who started it all. But I want you to know that the vision remains. And there is so much more to do. Guys, you know, we've been in this building for three years. And this was a big step. But I'm telling you, there's more to come. Don't get comfortable here. On New Year's Eve, we had a service. And... Uh, I think Paula and Pastor Virginia was pro- were prophesying over the pastors. And I was just sitting back there, minding my own business, you know, listening to the prophecy they were giving him. And one of them said, we're speaking over Pastor Eric, and they, they said vision. I don't even remember what they said. All, all I heard was vision. And I saw, and some of you have already heard this, but I saw people, the sanctuary full of people, and they all had catcher's mitts on. And it's like God said, this is a year to catch the vision. And then I saw people all over northwest Oklahoma, people who weren't even members of this church, they had catcher mints on. And it's like God was saying, this is a year my people are going to catch the vision. People who aren't even members of this church are going to see the vision of this place, and it's, the vision is going to draw them in. This 2006, I believe, is no more about finding yourself, getting healed, getting delivered. I mean, yes, God's still doing that. But we got to move on from that. 2006 is about more than us, guys. It's a, so much bigger than us. It's about finding your place in the body of Christ and getting to work. It's about catching the vision. It's time to catch the vision. You know, what are we waiting around for? Today I was just crying out to God. I was like, God, every day, every day people are dying and going to hell. Every day 
Women are being abused by their husbands. Every day, marriages are being destroyed. Every day, young people are making bad choices because of hurt and anger. And I sat there and I cried and I said, Every day, God, I sit here with the answer. I sit here every single day with the answer. While people out there are dying and and losing their lives because they don't know where to turn. Guys, we sit in this place and we can come in here and we can praise God and we can say, oh, we love you, Jesus, and that's good. But there's so much more. We have the answer, guys. There's more for us to do. Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Guys, we have to get a vision because if we don't, we're going to perish And we are Jesus' representatives in this earth. And we have so much work to do. You know, my mom was telling me about uh, her church. They live in Fort Worth, Texas. And they had a special speaker at a church. And he was telling that, thank you very much. Thank you. That he was talking about Africa. And there are, over, there are over 75 tribes in Africa alone that have never, ever heard the gospel. And they all have different languages. And so in order for someone to go share the gospel with them, someone's going to have to go and live with them long enough to learn their language so that they can translate the gospel into their language. And I'm thinking, this is huge. How can you ever do that? How do you go into a tribe where they could be violent? You have, you know, how? And I was just blown away. But guys, this is the work that has to be done. Jesus cannot come back until everybody on this earth has had a chance to hurt the gospel. So there is work to do. You know, God doesn't call you here to this place just to be a seat filler. And Pastor Eric doesn't want you here just to fill up space. You know, I mean, it's like, praise God, we had 300 people at church. What does that mean? We had 300 chairs full. You know, that's awesome. I want 300 and more. But that's not what counts, guys. It's not what counts. It's what the 300 people that come, what they do when they leave. Okay, praise God. So tonight I'm going to talk to you about rise up and build. Because, guys, it's all about vision. We must live it. We must breathe it. And it's not just your personal vision. It's the vision of this ministry. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. And I'm just going to read till I need to stop. So you might you can follow, follow along with me. Chapter 1. It came to pass in the month of... And there's a lot of words in here that I'm probably going to really butcher and mess up, but you just can ignore that. Shazlev, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And this is these are the words of Nehemiah. 
And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, or the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. I pray and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was a king's cupbearer. Okay, let's continue on in chapter 2. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad, since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask you to send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Okay, I want to talk to you about Nehemiah. He was an awesome leader. And as I was reading about Nehemiah, the Lord spoke to me and said, Our leader, Pastor Eric, has a strong Nehemiah anointing. And before I say any of this, I want you to know that I'm not preaching to Pastor Eric be all be the glory. Okay? I, that is not what I'm saying. Pastor Eric is a great man, but God gets all the glory. Amen. And he'll be the first to tell you that. Pastor Eric doesn't save you. Pastor Eric doesn't deliver you. But Pastor Eric has been set, set at this place to lead us with a great vision. And so I want to talk to you about a little bit about the similarities between Nehemiah and Pastor Eric for a second. You know, Nehemiah left a very comfortable place as the king's servant the, in Persia. He was a king's servant. He was wealthy. He was taken care of. You know, he was honored and respected. And he left that place of um, prestige to go to a place that was broken and in, in distress. And some of you don't know the history of Pastor Eric coming to Oklahoma. This is just a brief version. But Pastor Eric left North Carolina. He left a very good paying job. He left a very good business. He'd lived in North Carolina most of his life. And he left there. Why? Because God told him to come to Oklahoma. And some of you may think, well, no, he left. He came to Oklahoma because Pastor Shelley was here, and he was in love with Pastor Shelley. Well, that is true, 
But Pastor Shelley could have very well easily moved to North Carolina, probably easier than he could have packed up and moved here. She, you know, she was here living with her parents. And as a grown woman with two kids, she was living with her parents, and she could have very easily gone and moved to North Carolina with, to be with Pastor Eric. But no, he said, I know God's called me to, to Woodward, Oklahoma. He didn't know he was going to be pastor. He just knew God said go, and he went. And Nehemiah repented on behalf of Israel. He cried out for forgiveness. And I think one of the most important things that Pastor Eric's done while he's here is he strategically, by God's divine appointment, has got hooked up with Oklahoma Conscious of Prayer. And I know you've heard Pastor Eric cry out for, um, to repent for the sins of our forefathers, forefathers that occurred on this land, on this ground, on this northwest region, and all of Oklahoma. And I don't know if you understand how important that is spiritually, that we repent for the sins of our forefathers, that God cannot bless northwest Oklahoma until we deal with the sins that have occurred here way before any of us were born. And Pastor Eric's got a revelation about that. Just as Nehemiah did, he was repenting for Israel. He's like, God, we have sinned, but please remember us as, we re- as I repent on behalf of, of my people. Okay, let's continue on reading in verse 2, I mean chapter 2. Um, verse 11, Nehemiah says, So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I had no one... I told no one what God had put on my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which were burned with fire. And he went on and looked around and skipped down to uh, verse 16. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. And so they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. Nehemiah was very careful to cast his vision to the people at just the right time. And I believe that is crucial, you know, that Pastor Eric has done. He could, he didn't, he didn't, the first day he was setting as pastor of this church, he didn't say, well, we are going to be moving to the vacant grocery store building and we're going to be building a new church. If he would have told us that the first day, we probably all would have ran out of there and said, you are crazy and you do not hear from God. Okay, I mean, most of us would have just been blown away, but no, he he was, and I know that God would, had been dealing with him. He probably didn't know that when he the first day he was sent as pastor, but I knew I know he knew for a while before he he cast the vision in front of the people. God had been dealing with him, and he was like, "Are you sure, God?" You know. <laughs> so it's so important to cast the vision in front of the people at the right time. And you know, some of them embraced it. They said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. But not, not everyone embraced it. Um, look at verse 19. It says, but when San, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Jeshem heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? 
So I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Not everyone caught the vision. You know, not everyone caught the vision when Pastor Eric started the vision of building this new building. Some people left the church because they couldn't catch the vision. And just like Sanbal and Tobiah and Jeshem, they just started laughing and saying, this can't be God, are you crazy? But what what um, Sanbal didn't realize is that he, he said, have you talked to the king? How could you rebel against the king? But he didn't even know that Nehemiah had already been to the king and the king had put favor upon him to do this. And so the people who couldn't catch the vision that God had given Pastor Eric, they were saying, are you crazy? This can't be God. But they didn't stop to think that Pastor Eric had already gone before God and gotten favor and God, gotten God's okay. Okay, but this message tonight is not about this building. It's about a vision. And I'm, and I'm saying that I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm saying get ready. And I haven't talked to Pastor Eric. He has no idea this is what I'm preaching on tonight. He, ha- I ha- he has given me no major inside information. But I just have this feeling in my spirit that, that the next step of the, of the vision of this ministry is going to be big. And it's not going to be too much longer before that next step is cast in front of us. And so I'm just, I want you to prepare your hearts that what will you say when Pastor Eric ca- casts the next step of this vision in front of us? You know, I mean, it could be years down the road. I don't know. But all I'm saying is God is saying, prepare yourself now. Are you going to be one of those people like the people in Nehemiah that said, let us rise up and build and then set your hand to the good work? Or are you going to be like Sanballat and Tobiah and say, you're crazy, you don't hear from God? Nehemiah faced those who weren't connected, but I'm encouraging you today to get connected. We've got to get connected to the vision. And I know some of you think, well, I am connected to the vision. I'm, I'm here, and, and I'm here every Sunday and every Wednesday. But I'm telling you guys, I know not everyone's caught the vision. You know how I know this? Because I know the struggle that our children's ministers have getting volunteers. And that tells me not everyone has caught the vision. I know that not every single member of this church is tithing. I know because I see the checks that come in every week. And I'm not saying that to convict anybody or, or, or bring condemnation. But I know that if you're not tithing, that you haven't caught the vision of the church. Because that's the first, that's the first sign that you've caught the vision is that you're saying, Yes, God, I'm sowing into this ministry. But if you're not tithing, you're just robbing yourself of your own vision. Because God's not going to bless you. You're robbing him. So it's not about even the ministry. It's about, it's about you and God. But church, I'm asking you tonight, which one are you going to be? Are you going to be one of those people that says, let us rise up and build? Yes, I'm going to put my hand to this. I'm going to make sure this good work comes to pass. Are you going to be a sand ballot at Tobiah and just oppose the vision and cause trouble by stirring up disbelief and strife? Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 3. And there's a lot of names here that I cannot even begin to pronounce, so... But you'll get the, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but you're going to get the gist of the chapter in just a few verses. It says, Then Elisha 
And the, the high priest rose up with his brethren, the priest, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung the doors. They built as far as the Tower of Hundred and consecrated it. Then as far as the Tower of Hananel, next to Elisha, the man of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Emery built. Also the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Koz, made repairs. Next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of blah, blah, blah. Next to them, <laughs> the Tilkoites made repairs, but their nobles did not put their shoulders to do the work of the Lord. Moreover, Jehoiada, the son of Paseah and Meshulam, the son of it goes on and on. It says, and next to them, and it names, names a name. And next to that person, Bill was building. And next to that person, Tom was building. And next to her, him, you know, she was building. Chapter 3, the whole chapter is about people who were building their part of the wall. It didn't say, and Nehemiah built the sheep gate. And then Nehemiah went to the Tower of the Hundred. And then Nehemiah went to the Tower of Handel and repaired the doors. Not one time in there does it say, and Nehemiah built. It's all about the people, and the people were doing their jobs. And I'm telling you tonight, on behalf of our pastors, that they cannot do it by themselves, guys. Yes, God has set them in place, but the vision is too big for one, two, or even three or four people. It takes every single one of you to fulfill the vision that God has for this ministry. I don't think you understand that we, yes, we are in Woodward, Oklahoma, you know, some people say it's God-forsaken country, but I'll never say that. Amen? But I'm telling you, this ministry right here, we're going to touch nations. We already have through Pastor Tony Weston. Amen? And I want to be one of them. I want to be one of them that goes to Africa, that's, that, that loves on those orphans who don't have any, anyone. And I know that God has called you to do a certain part. And I'm telling you, God is telling me, that government, I don't want to cry. Then it's time that we catch the vision, guys. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's about fulfilling the vision that God has for this church. It's not about even my vision for my life. I mean, I, I went through a crisis. Oh, dear Lord, I'm almost 30 years old, and what have I done with my life? You know? And God said, why is it about you? Why is it about you? And I was like, I don't know, because I want it to be about me. You know, <laughs> I had big plans before I was 30. I was going to have things accomplished. And I just have less than two years to get that stuff done. <laughs> you know, and so every, it takes everyone doing their part. I'm a big sports fan. And so um, how many of you watched the Rose Bowl? It was just like, I don't know, two or three weeks ago. I know some of you did because I know some of you stayed home from church to watch it. <laughs> but I can't talk. I can't say anything because I went to Oklahoma City to a basketball game that night. And so I missed church too. But <laughs> we listened to it on the way home. We listened to it on the radio. And I was cheering for Texas and my husband was mad at me because I was cheering for Texas. But I didn't care. I was going for Texas. They're in the Big 12 and I'm a loyal Big 12 fan. Amen? And so... <sighs> You know, I, I was so nervous. I don't know why I was so nervous, but I just, I get so into the game that I just like, oh, I'm going to throw up, pull over, I'm going to throw up, you know. And I think Texas was down by, I don't remember, but 
they had to score. It was fourth down, you know, fourth and five, and they had to score. I mean, it came down to this. There was less than a minute left. And so Vince Young runs it in for the touchdown. And I was like, woo! And my dad's called me. He lives in Texas, and he's like, he's telling me what happened because he didn't know if I was listening to on the radio. And, and after the game, after Texas had won, the reporters kept saying this thing that just bothered me so much. They were saying, Vince Young just single-handedly won the national championship for Texas. And I looked at Bryce, I was like, what? He didn't do, he didn't do it by himself. And yes, I know that Vince Young was incredible that night, that he took control of that game and he led his team to victory. But I'm telling you what, if the other 10 players from Texas team would have said, all right, Vince, you go do your thing, and they would have sit on the sidelines, Vince Young would have not done one, got one yard by himself. He did not single-handedly win that championship for that team. They did it together. You know, those li- if those linemen hadn't been there, he would have got smashed every single play. And I'm telling you what, Pastor Eric... He may be the quarterback. He may be the one who calls the plays. But if we are not in our position to do the, our job, the, the vision will not be advanced. Vince Young would have never, they would have not gotten one first down, I guarantee you, if every single member on that team had not been doing you know, their part. If they had even missed two or three people out of position, it, it would have cost them the game. And the more the, the, more the players were determined to play their position, to fill their position, 110%, first and 10, first and 10. Move those sticks, move the chains. I mean, it would have, it just went on all night long because Vince Young and his team were filling every single position to the best of their ability. And I'm telling you guys, the vision of this ministry will not be advanced until every single person gets in place. I mean, yeah, it can be advanced, but it's going to take a lot longer. It's going to be, there's going to be a lot more heartache, a lot more failures involved because not everyone is at their, at the right place at the right time. The receivers have to be out there ready. When Pastor X says, go long, you know, you've got to be out there and ready to grab a hold of what he's going to, what he's going to throw you. If he says, all right, it's your turn, and he hands off the vision to you, and you take it, and you run, you've got to be ready. You know, if you're called to be an intercessor, man, I've, I see you as a, a, line, a big lineman, and you're there to protect the pastor, and nothing, if you have anything to do with it, nothing is going to harm him. Amen? I mean, it takes one and all, guys. You've got to find your position and take it seriously. Boy, time's going by really fast. You know, but that doesn't mean that you're stuck in one position. You're like, well, I'm the receiver and I'm the top receiver. I always have been, always will be. No one's going to take my position. That kind of attitude is going to get get you in trouble. I today I was thinking about, and I I know you're probably thinking this woman she likes sports too much, but <laughs> I was thinking about OU and the beginning of last year's football season. They had two quarterbacks fighting for the starting position, Rhett Bomar and Paul Thompson. And I mean, it was the new, it was on the news. Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? Who's going to be Stoops' man? Who's going to be his top man? And it came down to Rhett Bomar. And Paul Thompson, he had been the second, I mean, he had been second in line, and then here this little freshman boy comes and takes the spot. 
You know, I don't know, but I would have been a little bit upset. But you know what impressed me about Paul Thompson? Is that he could have very easily said, you know what, I got talent. You don't see the gifts and abilities inside of me? Fine, I'm going to take it elsewhere. And I'm going to show you what kind of talent I have. But you know what he did? He went to his coach and he said, Coach, I want to play for this team. Put me where you need me. And he played receiver for them. And he filled in wherever the coach needed him. And I'm telling you, that's the kind of attitude the people of the church need. Well, I'm not called to do children's ministry. I've already raised my own kids. I don't need to be changing any more diapers. If there's a need, we've got to fill it, guys. That's what people with vision, people who've got a hold of the vision, do. Pastors can't do it on their own, guys. And you may think, well, boy, they probably paid you big bucks to preach the sermon. <laughs> but I promise you that they'd have no idea <laughs> that this is what I'm talking about. You guys, it's, it's serious. I mean, we have got... And, and the, I was reading some prophecies on the Elijah list this week. And they're all about, church, you better be ready. God's not fooling around with people who are just coming to enjoy church. He's saying there is work to be done. There is work to be done. We've got to put our face towards the flint and we've got to say, God, I'm doing what you've called me to do. Okay, let's look at Nehemiah chapter 4. Um, but so it happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren, the army of Samaria, and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of, of rubbish, stones that are burned? And then Tobiah goes on and he says, Even if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. So they are sitting here mocking mocking the vision that Nehemiah and the work that these people are doing. And I'm telling you, that's going to happen to us. And it already has to a certain extent. That opposition came from the outside. And there's going to be opposition from the outside about the vision of this ministry. But you guys, we just have to keep pressing on them. Pressing on it. If you read, I'm going to try to hurry up a little bit. I'm not going to read all of chapter 4. But if you go on, it says that they had a weapon in one hand and a, a, a hammer in the other. So with one hand they were defending the vision, and the other one they kept, they kept on, kept on building the wall, because that's what God had called them to do. And they weren't going to let any opposition stop them from fulfilling the vision that God had, had given their leader, and their leader had passed on to them. You guys, this church is not perfect. And you know why? Because you're a member and I'm a member, and neither one of us are perfect. Amen? And there's going to be lots of reasons to complain and gripe and, well, boy, that department needs some help, you know. I mean, there's going to be, there's going to be things that, yeah, you could complain about, but that's going to do nothing but tear down what we're trying to build. We've got it. We've got to stop being the opposition ourselves. Sometimes there's more opposition on the inside than there is coming from the outside. So I ask you once again, are you going to be one that says, I'm going to rise up and build? I have a hammer in one hand and a weapon in the other. And you're going to determine to build and defend the vision. Or are you going to be Sanballat and Tobiah, ready to strike and destroy and tear the vision down? Okay, real quickly, go to Matthew chapter 4. Verse 18. 
And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James and John, his brother, in the boat with their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, And followed him. Do you see what happened there? Jesus cast a vision in front of them. And says I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately got up to follow him. And fulfill that vision. They didn't sit back and go. Hmm. You know what? I'm just going to sit here. And I'm going to watch you for a little bit. And if I determine that you are a man of God. Then I will commit. You know what? I'm not for sure. I don't know if I feel led to do that. (laughs) <laughs> I don't feel I don't feel quite led to do that right now so I'm just going to sit back and if God deals with me I you know I'll go home and pray about it. Baloney guys, they didn't do that. They immediately immediately left everything they had to to follow the man of God to fulfill the vision that he had to fulfill the vision of bringing the kingdom of God on earth. We must be like the disciples to, to catch the vision. When Pastor Eric says, this is what I think God is calling us to do, we shouldn't say, okay, I'm going to go home and pray about it and see if you're right. Because we should trust the man of God enough to know that he spends time in prayer and he hears the voice of God. I promise you, I can speak for him and say he hears the voice of God. I know that he's at home when people are calling to him. Can I, can I see Pastor Eric? I know he's at home seeking the face of God on your behalf and on behalf of this ministry. That's why he can't do it on his own because he's there. He's accountable. He is accountable for everything this ministry does. And that's why he has to be before the face of God more than any of us do because he's accountable. I don't know, but I don't want to be accountable for some of you. (laughs) And I promise you, you don't want to be accountable for me at times either. But he is. Pastor Eric is. We've got to be ready to catch the vision when he casts it in front of us. You know, not everyone was able to catch the vision. Some of them put put the vision off. They're they're like, okay, maybe later. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22, it says, And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord... Let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. When I first read this scripture, I was like, Whoa, that was kind of harsh, Jesus. What? You know, his father's dying. But, you know, I I was reading it again. It's like revelation came. And the man wasn't, he was just putting off the vision. He was just making an excuse why he couldn't pick up the vision right then. He's like, okay, Jesus, let me take care of my father. He's, he's going to be dying soon. And after that passes, then I, you know, I'll pick up the cross and follow you. But Jesus knew that after that happened, then there'd be another excuse. And we've all done it. You know, I did it in high school. God, after high school, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to serve you. You know, and then it's like, well, I'm in college, God, full-time student. I got, I'll serve you when I'm done. 
you know, and then you start having kids, and there's always excuses when you have kids not to pick up the vision and run with it. And Jesus is saying here that if you put the vision first, everything else will take care of itself. Amen? We can't keep putting the vision off. And then some people don't even catch the vision at all. They don't put it off. They just say, forget it. You know, the Pharisees, they were never able to catch the vision that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah, the sent one. And they, they even came to him and said, prove to us you are the Son of Man by showing us a sign. And Jesus was like, I ain't showing you a sign. You know, he was like, if you can't get the vision by now, you're never going to get the vision. And I don't want to be like a Pharisee that's so wrapped up in religion and looking good that I can't catch the vision that my leader is trying to cast in front of me. Will you be like the Pharisees? Are you going to be blinded by religion, deceived by the enemy and your own pride? They never saw Jesus for who he really was. Are you going to be like the man in Matthew 8 who wanted to put off the vision until it was more convenient for him? Are you going to be like the disciples who immediately grabbed the vision and ran with it? And you know, one of the most important things I want you to get tonight is that the disciples weren't committed to just their leader. They were committed to the vision. And there's a big difference. Listen, catch this. You can be committed to your leader and not committed to the vision of the ministry. But you cannot be committed to the vision and not be committed to the leader. Think about that. Jesus left them. He died, rose again, went to heaven to sit on the right hand of his father. If they were committed only to the leader, the vision would have died right then. But they were committed to the vision, and they said, okay, Jesus isn't here with us on earth anymore, but the vision is within us, so now we can fulfill the vision that Jesus cast to us when he said, I will make you fishers of men. And I'm telling you tonight, if you are connected, committed only to the leaders, and they are awesome leaders, but you can be connected and committed to them, and the first time they mess up, and they will mess up, you're like, oh, well, sorry. And that's happened. And I had a chance in my own life. You know, people who were committed to Tony and Tanya Weston, they didn't stick around when Eric and Shelley Cox came came to, to pastor the church because they weren't connected to the vision of this ministry. They were connected to the leaders. And, and I'm going to quickly share a, a story of my own personal testimony. When pastors Eric and Shelley first came to Living Word Fellowship to pastor, I was like 21 years old, and I was a youth leader at the time, Bryce and I. You know, I was, didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't very much older than some of them. Well, I went to Las Vegas on vacation. Oh. <laughs> I was 21, okay? I didn't do anything bad. I just, you know, went to Las Vegas, and I got my eyebrow pierced. <laughs> okay? Please. Promise? <laughs> you, you don't think different of me, but... <laughs> I was like, okay, 21, I was like, I'm going to do something wild and crazy, and you know, that's harmless, you can take it out, and you never, you know. Well, I come back, and you know, I'm like, I was a little nervous, because you know, we're living in Woodward, and that kind of thing is like, what? And I guess I was the last person some people would expect for me to do that. And uh, I can't believe I was sharing this story. I was like, God, I don't want to share this story. <laughs> anyway, 
Well, pastors were like, okay. <laughs> so they sent me down one time, one evening, not too long after I got home. And they said, you know, our personal preference is that we do not have any type of body piercing. Our leadership, leadership people have no body piercings. And so I sit there and I was like, okay. And basically they were telling me I had to lose the eyebrow ring or not be a leader in the church. And I was on the praise and worship team. I wasn't leading praise and worship, but I was a background singer. And so, man, I was mad. I was mad. Okay, and they know this. They probably don't know how mad I was, but we've talked about it. (laughs) It's a story we can laugh at now. And I remember, I was like, I'm quitting. I'm not, I'm not singing on praise and worship. I'm not being youth leader. Who are they to tell me that I can't have an eyebrow ring? You know, Pastor Shelley has earrings. What's the difference? You know, three or four inches is all the difference there is. I was mad. I was ready to leave. And you know what? They never knew this. They never knew that's what I was thinking because I sat there the whole time with a smile on my face. Yes. And then I got home and I let my husband have it, you know, like, and I let call my mom. I let my mom have it. But you know, they never had to deal with me because God dealt with me through Himself and someone else. I remember I was going to quit, and the lady came up to me and said, "Quit!" I was going to quit the praise and worship team, and the lady came up to me and said, "Tatum, you can't quit. That's your calling." And I got home, and God said, "Are you really going to let an eyebrow ring?" Stand in between you and your destiny. He said, are you connected to the leaders or are you connected to the vision? And I knew right then and there that God had called me to Living Word Fellowship. I I had a purpose and a calling there. I didn't know what. Right then I was just a youth leader trying to do the best I could. But right then I had to make a choice. It didn't matter if I agreed or disagreed with the leaders He had called me to the vision of this house. And I want to make it very clear that I love pastors Eric and Shelley. Yeah, I was offended, and I was upset, and I disagreed with them at that point. And I'm sure that I will disagree with them about things in the future. But one disagreement or two disagreements is not going to keep me from serving the vision of this ministry. And if you are only connected to the leaders, I promise you at some point they're going to let you down because they're only human. And if you are just connected to the leaders, then when you get let down, you're going to be out the door. I've seen too many people leave this, this ministry because of offense, because they were hooked up to the leaders. But, you know, it's the first time they got offended or their toes stepped on, well, sorry, I'm out of here. Guys, we got to grow up. And I, and I, I don't want this message to be a, oh, you know, bring You leave here feeling bad about yourself. I'm telling you that it is time we get behind the man of God in this house and the vision that God has put in his heart. Because I'm telling you, there are big things to come. There are so many big things to come. And you are a part of them. Whether you, you know, whether you are in nursery or whether you clean the toilets in this place, whatever you do, you are doing to fulfill the vision of this church, of this ministry. Guys, we've got to, we've got to stand up and take our place. My prayer today is that we would be a group of of believers like in Nehemiah. And this scripture, Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 18 would be our, our theme. Let us rise and build. 
and then we set our hands to do this good work. Guys, let's be a group of Nehemiah chapter 3 believers where everyone is doing their part, where everyone is taking their place and building their part of the wall. There is much to be done. Why don't you go ahead and stand on your feet? The vision for this ministry is big. And I know some of you realize how big it is. I know some of you have got the vision inside of you. Maybe some of you aren't quite so sure. But I just want to do a quick prophetic act. I just want you to raise your hand. And I just want you to see this huge catcher's mitt on your hand. And I want you to say this after me. Father, I'm ready to catch the vision. I'm ready to catch what you have for me to do. And I'm ready to serve and follow after the man of God that you have placed here. So let me have it, God. Throw me the vision of this ministry. Father, we just thank you tonight. We thank you for the vision. Of, we, th- we thank you for Pastors Eric and Shelley. And we thank you for the vision that you placed inside of them. But Lord, I thank you that, that the vision doesn't just stop with them. That every single one of us has a part to play. So I'm asking you tonight that we would leave here with a burden from you, God, to fulfill our part of this vision. We all have a part. And Lord, I just thank you tonight that as we do this, Lord, that, that when pastors come home, Lord, I just thank you that they're going to see a change in this place. They're going to see a change in the people, Father. That we are going to rally around them like never before. And we're going we're to say, what can we do? What can we do to build the wall? Where do you need us? What can we do? So, Father, I just thank you for tonight. And I just ask you to bless everyone who's come here tonight. I ask you, Father, just to bless their family and bless them throughout the rest, rest of the week. And we just give you praise and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. If anyone needs prayer, don't leave before you have prayer. We'll have prayer ministers available at the front. God bless you. Have a great evening.